you tonight? Amen. Uh, had a good time on the radio tonight. Um, it's always fun with Mike. <laughs> How many of you know, if you listen to Mike, has, yeah. people say to me, you're a real balance for him. I don't know what they mean by that. But, <laughs> amen. Um, good to have all of you. Let's stand together and we're going we're gonna to pray in uh, just a moment. But I wanted to tell you, first of all, we need to thank God. The last two Sundays, it, we've had approximately 20 people saved. Amen. And that's something. Um, what I like is the first time, it's first time visitors. Most of them are first time visitors. So here, remember I said this, get your in-laws here, get your outlaws here, get your spouses here, get your neighbors here, because they, they might get saved. Okay? They might get saved. We had a guy call the radio tonight. It was very, it was a sad call to me because he said, he was an older gentleman, and he said, you know, I was in church my whole life, and I never heard the gospel. Never heard the gospel. And so I quoted the great Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes. Charles Spurgeon, the uh, English preacher, London preacher of the 1800s, said, I read my text. And as quick as I can, I make a beeline for the cross. I always get the cross in there in any message. Because people need to hear about that cross. Because that's where Christ died for us. Amen? Now, this is the last tonight in this series on Deep Dive. We're going to be talking about translations. Um, and then, of course, next Wednesday, you're welcome to come. Okay? Nobody will be here. Yeah, um, so we are taking off because I want to give the church, you and my <clears throat> staff, a rest because we've been pushing, 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 and it's a Bible principle that you need to rest. You may not think you do, but you do. If you don't think you do, buckle your seatbelt because one day you'll crash and then you'll rest. But anyway, but the the first Wednesday of the new year. We're going to start a new series called The Letters That Burn. Letters on Fire. 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude. One chapter. But boy, Jude cooks. But these are all letters that... Uh, I, I don't know, to me, they're more relevant. To, they're always relevant. The Bible's always relevant. But they are so relevant for today. So 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 and 2 and 3 John and Jude. And, and we're going to learn the Bible. We're going to be fed. Amen? My pastor friend Brian Jacobs is here. Give Brian a appreciation. And I'm probably going to have him say hello at the end. Um, now... Also, I'm going to take questions at the end because I, what I have tonight, I don't think is going to take us to the top of the hour. So I'm going to take questions. I don't want you to be embarrassed to ask a question. No question is a bad question if you need the question answered. Right? So anything I say tonight, if it rings a bell, if you get a question about it, ask. If you've got a Bible question, I'll do my best to answer it. May not always be able to. 
If I can't answer it, I'll tell you. I don't know. I'll look it up and tell you next time. All right? But tonight we're going to talk about translations. And let's just go ahead and pray. Father, we just thank you tonight for helping us to understand how we got our Bible. Lord, that our confidence would be firm, unmoving, rooted deep, that we hold in our hands the very Word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the Bible. Can we just say thank you, Lord, for my Bible? Thank you for the Word of God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen. You're going to be blessed tonight. And by the way, tomorrow, by noon, zero-degree wind factor. All right. Just throwing that out. That's free for coming to church tonight. I'm just letting you know. All right. Now, we've, we've gone through a lot of things, a lot of different um, areas of how we got our Bible, how it came about, um, copies and all of that other stuff. And uh, we, we've covered some some pretty complex stuff. But I want to talk to you about translations. There's a lot of, um, I don't know, questions about translations, confusion about translations. But I want to begin by just letting you know that because there are different translations, and there's many different translations just in the English language, it doesn't mean that they're not the Word of God that is, that they are not accurately giving us what was written down in the original manuscripts. Right? So, some people have the mistaken notion that the Bibles we have today are unreliable because of constant retranslation. I've had people tell me that. Oh, let's come on. Translated, retranslated, re-retranslated. How do you know you have the Word of God? But the translations we have today, watch this now, are not the end of a long chain of translation. No, they are translated directly from Old Testament Hebrew and New Testament Greek. If it's a translation, and if it's not a paraphrase, it's, it's a translation. So how many of you have a King James? Do you really? Y'all read King James? No. How many of you read it daily? Is that your thee, thou, woulda, shoulda, couldas? How many of you? Good. All right. How many have a New American Standard? How about a New King James? Amen. How about a New Living Translation? How about the NIV? Okay. These are all translations. Okay. So just because there's all these different ones doesn't mean that it's not what was written in the manuscripts. They all come from, if it's a translation, they translated Hebrew into English and Greek into English. So let's define some terms, all right? Translation. What do we mean when we say translation? A translation is simply this, a rendering of the Bible in a language like English different than the one in which it was written, Greek or Hebrew, smattering of Latin. A translation is intended, very important, to be as literal as possible, as true as possible 
to the original Greek or Hebrew, but still be easily read. Okay? That's a translation. Agape in the Greek, love in the English. You're just translating from Hebrew and Greek into English. Now, then you have versions. What's a version? Versions are the various translations of the Bible into a modern language. That's all they are. Like, for example, we got a lot of English versions. I'll give you a few. King James. Y'all missed your cue entirely. King James. Version. New International. New Life. English Standard. And so on. Okay? And then, of course, there's version revisions. There's revisions of versions. Some modern versions could also be called revisions because they're largely based on a previous version that's been updated. For example, the American Standard Version that came out in 1901 was later redone to be the Revised Standard Version of 1946. King James Version, the Holy Grail, okay, was written in 1611. It, it came out in 1611. But it became the new King James ver Version in 1982. So you have the King James Version, new King James Version. So you have a reversion of a version. This is going to be great on radio. <laughs> I can see somebody driving down the road trying to stay awake. Reversion of a version, version, version. Okay. So there's your versions. Now, paraphrase. What's a paraphrase? A paraphrase is a less literal rendering of the Bible. It restates the text to give the original sense of what was said, but it's not attempting, and this is important, it's not attempting to literally translate each word or term in the original language. So it's not a translation. A paraphrase is not a translation. It's a paraphrase. So we have the living Bible. How many of you have a living Bible? Nobody. Well, I'm going to move right along. Oh, you got one. Okay. The, the Living Bible, the Phillips Bible, the today's English version. It used to be called the good news for modern man. When I got saved in juvenile home, I was handed a good news for modern man, a little paperback striped New Testament, good news for modern man. And that's the first Bible I ever read. I asked the guard to leave my light on in the cell and I was in my own cell, not in solitary, I was just in my own cell. And he said, I'll do it. I was amazed. So he left it on. So I, I began to read of everything Jesus said and did for the first time in my life out of a good news for modern man. Paraphrase. Okay? Amplified Bible. Believe it or not, the verses that, that the, the expansions of the verses where they will take a phrase or one word and greatly expand on it. That's paraphrased. Okay? So a paraphrase isn't a translation. That's why I say, don't let a paraphrase be your personal study Bible. You don't want a paraphrase. You want a translation. Are you with me? Okay. Interlinear Bible. That's different. An interlinear Bible is a Bible study tool that contains an exact 
literal rendering of every Greek and Hebrew term. Interlinears are actually copies of the Hebrew and Greek text with a literal English translation uh, printed below it. I'm going to show you an example in just a moment. It follows the word order and the grammar of the original language. Whether or not it's easily readable in the modern language, in English, for example. So interlinears are what somebody like me would use from time to time because it, I understand Greek. So um, you may not get much out of an interlinear. Nothing wrong with that. But I'll, I'll show you an example. Let's, let's look at John 1.1. 1, 1. I'll just give you an example of what an interlinear reading would look like. You see this up here? Everybody say yes, Pastor. Yes, All right. In the beginning was the Word. Everybody recognize that in John 1.1? 1, 1? Right. How does it read in the Greek? Anarche ein halagos. Now that's the way an interlinear would look. So anarche ein halagos. And the Word was with God. Kai halagos ein prostampheon. And the Word was with God. So if I know Greek, I'm looking at the Greek and I'm seeing how they translated it and the Word was with God. And here's the important part of John 1, 1, very important. What does it say? Read it with me. And the word was God. Got that? Because I'm going to show you in a little bit how that last phrase is attacked by the cults. Because that tells us Jesus was deity. Right? He was not just a good guy walking around saying neat things and loving on people. And the word kaiphaos ein halagos. Now look how it reads in the Greek. Kai and phaos and God was the word. So in English they translated it and the word was with God and the word was God. That's okay. But the original Greek and God phaos ein halagos was the word. So God was Christ. He was deity. Now that's the Greek. All right? So an interlinear, that's the way it reads. So if you really want to get down to, well, I want to be sure, because for instance, I'm going to show you how the Jehovah's Witnesses steal that and twist that to say something entirely different. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to it in a minute. Now, further down the chain of translations, paraphrases, and so on and so forth are children's Bible story books. Now, they're fine. But they're even less literal than paraphrases. There's not any attempt at all to translate from the original language. Uh, one good example for the youngest children is Kenneth Taylor's New Bible and Pictures for Little Eyes. Okay, nothing wrong with reading this to, to kids, but here's the deal. Bible story books are different than most children's Bibles, which are actually a, a translation. There's children, children's Bibles that are translations or paraphrases uh, with pictures and so on and so forth to help tell the story. But a, a um, children's Bible story books are just kind of giving pictures and telling the story uh, in a broad sense without teaching them 
out of the original text. So again, if I'm if I've got little children and I'm using a children's uh, or a, a children's Bible story book, I'm also going to do my best to teach them Bible truths that are true to the text. I'm not just going to give them broad paintbrush strokes of Bible stories. I want them to understand God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Jesus was God. Okay, I'm going to want to teach them as well as I can what's really there. So that's the different. So what we have, if we had a graph here, I think it's, there it is. So the most literal that you can put your hands on is an interlinear. If you want an interlinear Bible, you can go online and, and just interlinear Bible online and they'll come right up and show you uh, the Greek, the Hebrew, and there it'll be for you. But for most of us, that's Greek to me, right? But then the next most literal is versions or translations, okay? Then paraphrases, Living Bible, the Message Bible. Then the Bible story book is the least literal. Now, I'm huge on this. I think every Christian needs to understand what the original teaches. Okay? I want the truth of what was said. I want the truth of what was said. Okay? So I'm going to find a good translation. Now, if you want to talk about what is the best translation, the most literal translation, are you ready? Give me a drum roll. It's not King James. Now, I'm sorry. I know that was a sin to say, but it's not. The most literal translation, word for word, Greek into English, Hebrew into English, is the New American Standard. It's the New American Standard Bible. Now, that doesn't mean the New Living Translation, the NKJV, the New King James, or the King James are bad translations. They're excellent translations. But the NASB is the closest word for word out there in the English language, in my humble opinion. And I go on good authority there. I've, I've read a lot of people who know what they're talking about way more than me, and they agree with that. Okay? Now, since neither translations nor paraphrases are exactly literal, watch this carefully, there's always going to be a degree of interpretation in them. That is, to put the Greek or the Hebrew words and phrases into readable English, the translator has to decide to some degree what each term means. So what's the only, what is the truly inspired from God without error? What is, the, what is the inerrant text? The original text. What was originally written on papyrus and then copied. But when it comes to translations, you've got to adapt to your language. So you have to look for the words that are closest to that Greek or Hebrew word. Do your very best to find the best English equivalent and that's what you put down. But 
Sometimes that's hard to do, like agape, the Greek for love. Well, we just say love, God so loved, agape, God so loved the world. Well, we look at that and we know what we mean by loved. But the Greek word agape has is higher, deeper, broader in its meaning than any English word. But the, the, the best English word to match it was love. But there's three words for love in Greek. Not just one. We got one. I love you. I love you, man. I love you. And it can mean I love you, man, and mean next to nothing to I love you. Like them over here who I just married. <laughs> okay. okay, so here's the deal. But there's, there's phileo in the Greek, and that's friendship. There's eros, that's romantic love, sexual love. So there's three words for love in Greek, but only one in English. So all you can do is say, well, the best I can do is love. See what I'm saying? So paraphrases have more interpretation to them than translations. That makes paraphrases easier reading, uh, especially for a new Christian. But for that reason alone, they're less reliable because he's not translating word for word in the paraphrase. He's just giving you his interpretation of what was said. And that's tainted with human. Are you with me? I want the closest I can find to word-for-word translation. For me, I want the pure word of God as close as I can get to it. And so that's going to be a really good translation. Okay. Modern translations are very readable, and they allow the reader to draw their own conclusions. Um, Paraphrases are valuable, but for younger readers... And like if you want to kind of get a broad understanding of, let's say, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, you may buzz through it in a living Bible. But if you want to understand more closely what God was saying, you go to a translation. Am I making sense? Okay. Again, let me say, this sounds weird, but let me say it. Versions translations and paraphrases themselves are not inspired by God. They're taken from what is inspired by God. They are translated from what is inspired by God. Do we have the word of God? Yes, we do. But the only perfectly inspired without error word of God is in the originals. But I believe God so protected the Bible down through the ages. We've gone through how the copyists, the ones that copied it, and then those copiers that copied them, and then the copiers that copied them down through the centuries. We know because there's thousands of what we call extant New Testament manuscripts out there, some older, some younger, but if you compare them, they totally agree. Some are, you know, a few centuries old. Others are way more centuries old. 
when you take the oldest ones and the newest ones and compare them, they totally agree. So we know they were accurately copied. So you have in your hand the Word of God. It's just not the original. But I'm okay with that. Y'all with me? Well, Pastor Jeff, he told us we didn't have the Word of God tonight. No, I didn't. You've got the Word of God. But you, we have to understand, okay, about language and how you've got to find the closest word in the English or German or Russian or whatever and match it to the Greek word or the Hebrew word as close as you can get. But are we clear on God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son? That whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life? Are we clear on that? Yes, we are. It's also true that some versions have misleading portions because they're done by a cult. Please hear me on this one. I want to tell you, church, we're living in a day of incredible deception. If somebody were to say to me, what's the church's greatest need? Next to love, I would say discernment. And unfortunately, to me, my observation is we're in a dearth of discernment. There is not much discernment. And cult, cultic teachers and cults count on people being biblically illiterate. Okay? Like the New World Translation, which is put out by the Jehovah's Witnesses, who come knocking on your door, and they get converts every day, like the Mormons do, every day. Let's go back to John 1.1, and I'm going to show you what they do. I've already pointed it out, but it's worth pointing out again. In the beginning it was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was... No, you've got to go back. You jumped ahead on me just a little bit. I want to show... There we go. Yeah, okay. Kai theos ein halagos. And God was... What, everybody? Say it. The Word. Ha is the article. Ha lagos. God was the Word. So Jesus is deity. Now let's go to the next. Let me show you what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. They translate it, in the beginning it was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. That's what they do with John 1.1. 1, 1. That's what they do in their New World Translation. The Word was a God. Well, okay, Really? Jehovah's Witnesses cult here, and they are a full-blown cult. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but you probably know someone or have someone in your family that has been caught up in this cult. But look what they do with Jesus here. Look what they do. They falsely translate halagos, the word, into agog. And the word was a God, not the creator God, not the divine God, but just one of many gods, a God. So they de-deify Jesus. Now, how do you know you're in a cult or you're dealing with a cult? Because of what they will do with Jesus every time. They will, they will make up their own Jesus. They don't give you the Jesus of the Bible. And I'm going to tell you, 
Boy, I'm going to get in trouble here, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's a lot of things on Christian TV. They're making up their own Jesus. I, I want the Jesus given to me in the Bible. Right? And, and sometimes you hear them talking about Jesus. The way they paint Jesus, I don't recognize your Jesus. Where did you, you get this Jesus? And here they have de-deified him. Oh, he was an incredible man, but he, and he was almost godlike in the sense of like Zeus or whatever, mythological gods. He was a god, but here's the difference, not the god. Not the second person of the Godhead. Not God the Son. So right out of the chute, in John 1.1, 1, 1, which is a, a verse that I think every church should be taught, every Christian ought to be taught, who was Jesus? He was second person of the Godhead. He, nothing was made that wasn't made through him. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Genuine Greek scholars have choice words for this twisting of Scripture in the New World Translation. It's not a translation. It's, they've twisted it. Okay? Here's what they say. Evidence of abysmal ignorance, not held by any reputable Greek scholar, is erroneous and unsupported by any good Greek scholar, rejected by all recognized scholars of Greek language, obsolete and incorrect, neither scholarly nor reasonable, pernicious, reprehensible, monstrous, intellectually dishonest, totally indefensible. Do you get the idea they don't like it? Who is Jesus? Who is the real Jesus? God wrapped in skin. All God, all man, all man, all God. But poor, biblically ignorant people join this cult on a regular basis as they do the Mormons. And I could go into Mormon theology. It's, it, it's uh, blasphemous. So if you're wondering if you're in a cult or if you're listening to a cult, listen carefully what they do with Jesus. If they don't make him God the Son who was born without a fallen nature, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead and is coming back. Amen. Then you're listening to somebody you need to turn off. And when you listen to the way they describe Jesus, then listen to what they say about him and then look and see if it's in the Bible. It, you know, most people, oh, I like so-and-so because they're on TV and they got charisma and they're funny. But listen, if somebody's teaching you about Jesus, you better be real selective who you listen to. Whoever is forming your Christology, what you believe about Christ, who's forming it? What picture of him are you getting? You want the Bible Jesus who said, you want to follow me? Pick up your cross. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
the sacrifice for our sin, the one and only. He's not a God. He's not one of many great world religious leaders in our history. No, no, no. Jesus is light years above any other person claiming to speak for God. He was God visiting the human race. Rescuing the human race. Amen? Boy, I could, I just, this is just like, we've got to get this. Come on, everybody. Ah. Oh, a couple of other versions to watch out for. Um, because there are some translations that were done by liberal scholars. Okay? And these liberal scholars gave you a liberal translation, like the Revised Standard Version. They removed much of Mark 16. And they didn't believe in miracles, and, and they were endorsed by the National Council of Churches, which I think everybody on that council is lost. Um, anyway, the New American Bible is another one. Catholic scholars wrote that. Catholicism, full of uh, false teaching. Mariology, Mary worship, on and on. Ultimately, the reliability, listen carefully, this is important to remember, of any translation you choose depends not on some special authority from God like King James claims, because King James is just as good as many other translations, but it depends on the spiritual integrity of the scholars doing the translation, their accuracy, and their knowledge in translating. This is why I say, don't go by the Passion Translation. I'm sorry. If you have one, I'm sorry. You wasted your money. It's not a translation. The Passion should raise eyebrows. Here's why. It's translated by one man, Brian Simmons. Whereas legitimate translations are the work of many contributors and scholars who get together and they're accountable to one another and they translate as best they can. Brian Simmons claimed he translated from downloads God gave him. Well, you know what download I want when you're translating my Bible? is do you know Hebrew and do you know Greek? And download that for me. Because I want to know what God said, not what you're saying God downloaded to you. Hope I didn't offend you. But I got to tell you the truth. Quickly, there are translations in history, history of translations, Septuagint. The Septuagint, uh, it comes from the Latin word for 70. So, Supposedly 70 scholars got together way back in the 2nd and 3rd century before Christ and translated the Old Testament into Greek. Jesus quoted the Septuagint. The apostles quoted the Septuagint. That's what Jesus was using. He would quote it, all right? Because they translated the Old Testament Hebrew into New Testament Greek. So it's the Old Testament in Greek. That's the Septuagint. There were early Bibles. There were Bibles done in Aramaic, Egyptian, Coptic, Ethiopic, 
Germanic, uh, Russian, Arabic translations. As the gospel went to the whole world, first thing they needed was the Bible in their language, right? So we have all these English Bibles, but man, if you can hand a people group, wherever they happen to be, uh, the Bible in their language, you have just given them 24 karat spiritual gold. Okay? Christianity spread like wildfire the first 500 to 700 years and translations were just coming out all the time. And so, amen. So we like to think, well, you know, all we know is English Bibles, but there's tons of translations in all kinds of different languages all over the world. Now, I want to talk about a couple of my heroes real quick. We come to the English translations because that's who, what we are. Except Ronnie, he was singing in tongues, I thought at first. And then I realized it was Spanish. Yeah, yeah, him, that guy. And I saw some of you Spanish speakers going, hallelujah, glory to God. All right. But good example. He sang it in Spanish and Spanish speaking people loved it. But it was Greek to me. I can read the Greek, but I don't know what he said. Amen. We come to the English translations between A.D. 450 and 1100. So 450 years after Jesus to 1100 years after Jesus, several partial translations were made into English. Now I want to tell you how blessed you are. A man named John Wycliffe, from which comes Wycliffe Translators, called the Morning Star of the Reformation, is what John Wycliffe was called. Why? Because of his opposition to the Roman Catholic papacy and false teaching. And he was totally committed to the authority of Scripture. This is God's Word. He began the first complete translation of the Scriptures into English. He began it. His New Testament was published in 1380. Now think about this. There was no Bible in English till 1380. And then his Old Testament came out in 1388. And it was completed by others after his death in 1384. Now following his death, the Pope, here's how hated he was for saying that your Bible is the Word of God and challenging the teaching of the Catholic Church with the truth of Scripture. Following his death, the Pope ordered his body to be dug up and burned for his stand on the inerrancy of Scripture and his attacks on many of the Catholic Church's false doctrines. Mary worship, praying to Mary, purgatory, so many things. So he's one of my heroes because he first gave us our Bible in our language. But next comes William Tyndale, 1492 to 1536. Did you catch how long he didn't live? 44 years. 44 years. He produced the first printed portions of the English Bible. He got them printed, all right? Along with a man named Miles Coverdale, he produced the first completed printed English 
Bible using the Gutenberg Press. Now, eventually, Tyndale, 44 years old, was tried on a charge of heresy in 1536. He was found guilty and he was condemned to be burned to death at the stake. Tyndale was strangled to death while tied to the stake. Then his dead body was burned. Why? Because this is the word of God and I'm going to give it to the common man, us. I'm going to put it in their hands. So do you realize the Bible you have in your hand is covered in martyr's blood? Martyr's blood. Way later than the apostles. 13 centuries after the apostles. His final prayer when he was able to still utter anything, and this was recorded by several, many different people that were there, his final prayer was, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And he died. Now watch this. His prayer was mightily answered. Because within four years, four English translations of the Bible were published at the king's orders. Lord, open the eyes of the king of England. Then guess what? King James I of England appointed 54 scholars. Everybody say 54. Not one man getting downloads. 54 scholars to produce a new translation of the Bible in 1604. Six groups worked separately and then met together to to critique each other's work. And in 1611, the work was complete, giving the English-speaking world the standard Bible that has been used for three centuries now, your King James Bible. So, folks, our Bible was preserved by God, protected by God, sent down through the centuries accurately by God. Good men and good women gave their lives so we could hold the Bible we've got. Why, it's a sin to let it gather dust on your bookshelf. It's more than a showpiece the great big Bible you could kill somebody with sitting in the middle of some table. No, they gave their lives because they so believed it to be the word of God. And they believed that you and I deserve to hold one. Amen? And I close with that. Now, I want to take questions. Are there any questions tonight? All right, let's go back here, and we'll take a few, and then we'll go home. Amen. Which year publication of the NASB do you like the best? Um, I I would go with the original. I know some people go with the second one, the second edition. I would go with the original, but, but really, to tell you the truth, they're all really solid. They're word for word. The most faithful, 
and it's not like your King James, New King James are not faithful. They are. But the NASB translators were particular about word for word for word for word. And so I, the, the tradition wasn't lost in the second edition. How many editions were there? Uh, well, I think there's a one in, um, I think you said 1946, and then uh, 1977, yeah. and I believe 1995. Edition. So th th three editions. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I don't think you can go wrong with any of them. But, again, that's not the only trustworthy Bible. It's not. I'm just saying if you want to, like I said, word for word. But NKJV, KJV, um, I use many different versions, many different translations in my studies. What I read my devotional in every day, through the Bible in a year, it's New King James. So, Thank you. All right. Anyone else? First of all, thanks for doing this. It's really sure. great. Uh, you didn't mention ESV. I know you can't mention all of them, so I the just ESV wanted to... is a great translation. English Standard Version. Great translation. Matter of fact, I know people that they would die for the ESV. So go ahead. Uh, here. In uh, Matthew 24, uh, 5 through 8, um, Jesus says there's rumors of wars and wars and mm -hmm. famines. Right. And then he said um, in 8, this will be the beginning of sorrows. Right. Now, the beginning of sorrows, is that describing the tribulation period or is that a set time outside of the tribulation period? Okay. Great question. Matthew 24 is Jesus' longest prophecy. Okay. He was asked three questions. He had just walked out of the temple, and the Bible says he never went back. So he left the temple for the last time. His disciples are bragging on the beauty of the temple because it was one of the wonders of the world. Um, hang on there, Johnny. Let me. Uh, is there somebody else raise their hand? Okay. Stay put so that I can have their attention. Now you're standing. There we go. Now, Matthew 24, they asked Jesus three questions. They said, well, when will these things be? What things? Jesus had said, you see this? Not one stone is going to be left on another. It's all going to come down. This temple that has been the center of religious life for the Jews for centuries is coming down totally. So they asked, when will these things be? The temple, clearly, that's the connection. And then it's almost like they said, and while we're at it, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they asked two key questions, one near, one far. Okay? When will the temple come down? And what will be the sign of your return? Okay, in Luke, Jesus says to them, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that the end is near. Now, when did he say that? 37 years before the event. Because he's talking about 70 AD. Crucial year in world history. Because in 70 AD, 
Titus and the Roman legions finally broke through. They had starved the Jewish people. They were trapped inside Jerusalem. There had been the Jews against the Romans for a number of years. They resented Roman rule. They resented Roman taxation. And they had begun to come against the Roman army. So finally, Titus and the Roman legions surrounded the city, just like Christ said 37 years before the event. He said, when you see that, you better hook them. That's my paraphrase. That's a paraphrase. Okay? That's a paraphrase. He said, you better get out of Dodge. That's another paraphrase. You better head to the mountains. I'm giving you an out. I want you to notice before judgment falls, God always gives people an out. So Jesus said, you better hear me. When you see the, the army surrounding Jerusalem, get out. And don't even go back in to, to grab your stuff. Just get out while you can. Save your life and get out. Because the day came when they shut it all in. And they began to starve them. Literally. Mothers eating their children. I'm just telling you. It was bad. Over a million Jews were slaughtered. When they finally broke through the ranks and got in, it was a slaughter. They had killed Christ. They had, Jesus said, I was among you and you knew not the day of your visitation. You didn't recognize who I was. You rejected me. He came to his own and his own received him not. So they broke in. And against Titus's command, the Roman soldiers were so furious at, at having been resisted for so long that they set the temple on fire. And because so much of it was put together with gold, it melted. And all of the stones crumbled. The whole temple was destroyed. And a million Jews slaughtered. Whoever remained was dispersed throughout the earth. The diaspora. Now, so Jesus, so in answer to your question, when Jesus said, when will these things be? We have to realize the first thing he's answering is the first question. Well, let me tell you when these things will be. You hear of wars, rumors of wars, uh, famines, earthquakes. Do you know that those things all happened before 70 A.D.? All those things mentioned. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine, pestilences. Read about it. So, but if you know where to look, you can see Jesus shift gears. And he goes from the near to the far. And he starts predicting what the signs will be before his return. Now, some of them are, are the same. It's a double-pronged prophecy. Because we're going to see wars, rumors of wars, and this and that. Just like he said. But there's things he added that weren't true for the people leading up to 70 A.D. You know, the lightning, the Son of Man coming and like lightning stretching from east to west. And there's things he goes into in the second half of Matthew 24 where he's answering the second question. 
So you have to pay real close attention and track with it. You'll see him shift gears. So does that answer your question? Okay. Uh, any more? Yes, ma'am. Keeping Johnny busy around here. By the way, Johnny asked for prayer. He doesn't need prayer. He's going on a cruise. <laughs> okay, Pastor Jeff. I can relate to what you're saying with the Jehovah's Witnesses. I have a sister, my yeah. oldest sister, that's just local. She's loony. I Get mean, seriously. She's just crazy. Yeah. Um, she says that the Hebrew and Greek Bibles are false. Yeah. And that Jesus is not God. Yeah. And um, yeah. she said that he was created. Yeah. And she also said, mm-hmm. she, uh, she argued with me. She told me to go to Philippians 2 and 6. And, you know, where it says that he, um, who being in the form of God, thought it not be. In, 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 see, see what it's saying? I mean, she was just doing all that, just crazy. He being in the form of God, God thought it not, thought robbery, it not be, be robbery. And she was like, so see, he's not God. He knew where his place was. You know, stuff like that. No. Yeah. I get it. You know, and then I have another sister that she's she's a Christian, and and, and she believes in one of these uh, televangelist persons that claims that it's going to be a big revival. The same one that said that Trump was going to win, prophesied. And you know, I try to tell both of them. You know, I I, I don't even, you know. My oldest sister, the Jehovah Witness, and I, we just, we can't see eye to eye, yeah. Pastor Jeff. I just had to stop all communication with her altogether. Yeah. It's sad, but yeah. I really did. Well, um, you know, again, the cults will always mess with Jesus. They will mess with who he is. But how are you going to know it if you don't know who he is? You, know? you got to know who he is to know if what you're hearing is true or not. Right? So that's why we teach the way we teach. We want you to know who he is. And we want you to know the scriptures. Yes, Robert? Pastor Jeff, if we want to build a reference library for studying the Bible, what do you think are the most important references we can use? Like Strong's Concordance or Fox's Book on Martyrs? I've seen this chronological map of the Bible, too, that they're always advertising that. Do you think any of those are are beneficial? Well... Um, the, the first thing that I ever got to understand, to ever even look at what a English word meant in Greek was a Strong's. And I've got like three or four Strong's concordances <laughs> littered throughout my many, many, many books. And some of them are falling apart. One of them is duct taped, <laughs> right? I noticed that because I looked at it so much, but, um, that's great. Strong's is good because if, if you don't know Greek or Hebrew, you can look up any word and at least get what the Greek word that was translated into your English word meant. That's good. Fox's good, Book of Mars is great. Um, I think you need, there's good commentaries. I use commentaries all the time. That's just true Bible scholars who, who went through the Bible and they commented. Now, they're not inerrant. They're Matter of fact, sometimes I don't agree with what they said, but um, I use BibleHub.com, for instance. 
BibleHub.com. Another great one is Blue Letter Bible. Amen. Oh, BlueLetterBible.com. Uh, that's a great, right? Johnny uses that. I use the app. But you can, you can track. That gives you commentaries. That gives you the languages. I mean, these days with social media and all these different, I used to just only have books. I had these gigantic libraries. If I had not accumulated those libraries and I was starting out now, I wouldn't need them because it's all there. But I got to tell you, I like paper. I like the way it smells. I like the way it feels. I like studying books. But I go online every day I use BibleHub.com. Because you go to BibleHub, write it down. That's free. It's what you get for coming to church tonight. BibleHub.com. Because you can track anything, any verse, and, and it'll give you eight or ten different commentators and what those verses probably meant or do mean. And they're good. So there's your whole library in one site. And you don't need a bunch of books. So I would just start with the Bible itself. As Spurgeon, once again, I love Spurgeon. He said, you should read a lot of different books, be familiar with many things, but know your Bible better than you know your own name. Know that Bible. And I'll tell you, since it's God's Word, and all the other books are books about God's Word, I want God's Word. I want to know that Bible inside out, right side up, upside down. I want to know the breadth, height, depth, and width of it. I want to understand it better than any book I know, far beyond, because that's God's Word. Okay? Does that help? Okay. One more. All right. Well, Monica. Oh, go ahead, Charles, and I'll come to you, Monica, and then we'll close. you got two more, then. We're, yeah, um, I loved what you talked about with Wycliffe and Tyndale, and, and we realized in church history that's when everybody started receiving the word yes. and listening to the word. And that's when missionaries went out all over that's the exactly world. Right. That's the history that we're talking about. And if anything we need is a revival of the word and understanding the word, but not just understanding it, but doing the word. Because right. Jesus said in uh, uh, you know, John uh, 15, 14, 15, um, it, it is, you are my friends if you do what I command you to do. This is, uh, that is to say, our friendship with God depends on our choices in life. Well, that's not it. I, I lost the scripture I was at. Here it is. And so, um, now I came to different, different translations. So. But you, know, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. People can, I, and I've known people that they'll wear their Bible pen. I read the you know, but then are they doing yeah. what the word says to do? You're my friends if you do the word of God. Right. And that's why I love this church because we've got so many people that are doing the word of God. Right. Okay. Amen. All right. Monica is the last question. Hi. I have Hi. two questions. Sorry, okay. but I bet you they're pretty quick. Sermon on the Mount. Um, I have an 11-year-old that is very little, and he's all about justice right now. And he literally says, well, us Christians are very weak because we're supposed to turn the other cheek. 
So I'm like, okay, hold on a second. How do I explain that in lay, like in simple terms to him? And the other part that I'm struggling with is the end of Matthew chapter 5 where he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a heavy burden. Okay, let me take the last question first. Perfect means mature. If you, it comes from a Greek word meaning mature or adult or be as much like him as you can, but certainly not perfecto because nobody is that, okay? So that's, again, there you have a translation, but that's King James, maybe New King James. I guarantee you there are some others that don't say perfect. Uh, because they're dealing with the Greek word. As far as the turn the other cheek, I don't believe that's literal. I don't believe it's literal. Um, I don't know anybody that's ever been hit and said, oh my, do that here. Okay, not me. Okay, and I don't see Paul doing it. You know, they went to whip Paul. He said, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. And he stopped them. Okay, Um, another time, the high priest commanded Paul to be slapped. Paul said, God will slap you, you whited wall. He didn't turn the other cheek and say, oh my, let me be like Jesus. So what does it mean? I think it means how you deal with evil that comes at you. Okay? You give it to God. Avenge not yourselves, beloved, for vengeance is mine saith the Lord, I will repay. So what what did Jesus say do? Bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love only those who love you, what have you done that the world doesn't do? Oh, I love anybody that loves me. But it's hard to love somebody that can't stand you. Right? So I think it's, it's the way you respond to evil. I've had evil come at me through people. And turning the other cheek means bless those that curse you, pray for them, and leave vengeance to God. Because I've never seen anybody, well, sometimes you wonder why God's taken so long to give you vengeance. <laughs> it's like, I understand the disciples who said, can we call fire down from heaven and just turn them into smoke? And Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. But I think it's, it's how you respond. You don't take vengeance into your own hands. Because most people slapped, well, they're going to come after you. You slap somebody, they're going to fight you. They're going to, but Jesus said, no, bless them. Now, he wasn't teaching, don't defend yourself. I don't believe that for a minute. He did not teach us to lay down and let somebody beat on us. Unless there's nothing we can do about it. You come up and hit me, um, I'm going to defend myself. Okay? Even if you hit me because I'm a Christian. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to throw you in jail, but I'm not going to sit there and say, do it again. If somebody comes into my house and attacks my wife, 
or when I was earlier, I had kids at home. And I'm not going to say, oh, well, after you're done with them, come for me. Because we're Christians? No. So I think it's you give evil that comes at you to God. And you don't take vengeance into your own hands. Uh, Again, that said, I don't think that's saying don't defend yourself. But don't, don't be vengeful. And, and, well, they did this to me, so I'm going to hatch something where I'm going to really let them have it for what they did to me. I've given a lot of people to God. And sooner or later, they don't do well. Not my, and, and I don't want that. But I've wept over people that, like, attacked our church. Seriously. They attacked our church, uh, came against it, tried to hurt us. I give them the God. I don't go on a vengeance campaign. But I do give them the God. And I was remarking to somebody the other day, Brian, you would know this, but that I've never seen anybody that attacked the church. Because you're not attacking me. You're attacking the God who's on this church, using this church, imperfect vessels right? Um, But I've never seen people that did that do well. Have you? Okay, let's stand together. I got a story I could tell you, but it's too late. I'll tell you some other time. Come say hello, Brian. Oh, well. This is a this is a good man. Tell him your church, uh, Metroplex Family Church here in Burleson, and uh, we're on our 18th year. Hey, wasn't that excellent tonight? Uh, let's give Pastor Jeff a hand. Listen, Thank you. two things. Number one, the courage to do this, and number two, the indebtedness of way the way he shared it. I just want to say thank you, Turning Point Turning Point Family Church, because. What we're doing here on Wednesday nights with these broadcasts, it's not just reaching here locally. It's reaching around the nation. And uh, I was talking to him prior to the service because I really believe that this voice of his needs to be personified out there even more. And that's what one of my, one of my missions is to support him. And I want to say thank you because what we heard tonight, I know it's late. We need to go and Merry Christmas and all that. But listen, what you heard tonight was life-changing. As all the comments, I mean, when you hear things like this and the explanation, the simplicity, Albert Einstein said in the middle of complexity, look for simplicity. And that's what we heard tonight. And I want to say thank you, Pastor Jeff. Thank you, Brian. We need that. And uh, we want to support this. I want to support this. And we need, I just want you to know, Turning Point Family Church, listen, the radio broadcast is not just to teach believers. It's outreach. Yeah. It's bringing truth. And people need to hear the truth, and uh, I'm here to support that. And uh, you mean to pray and dismiss this service? Yeah, dismiss this. Uh, so, Go again, ahead. I just want to say thank you, Pastor Jeff, for what you've done this year. And uh, let's join together for next year to get thank this you, kind Lord. of messages out there. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this week. Lord Jesus, thank you for the, the truth of who we are in you that was explained tonight. I thank you so much for Pastor Jeff and for this church family. I thank you, Lord, that we're going to end this year, especially this weekend, celebrating your great birth and who you are. And I want to thank you for 2023. We dedicate, dedicate ourselves to seeing the very best of the kingdom of God advance right here at Turning Point Church in Jesus' name. God bless you, everybody. Thank you so Amen. much. God bless you. See you Saturday night, six o'clock. Amen.